Welcome to the men's global live stream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Matthew 11 and the other in Luke chapter 10. Those are two key passages. And if you're new to the men's global live stream, make sure you click the downloaded notes. All the verses that I'm gonna go through and the fill-ins will be that are on the screen will be available to you in the downloaded notes. And my hope is, is that you can go reteach this or use this in your church or your men's group. So we're starting a new series called Come to Me. And what we're looking at is God's desire as it relates to our daily connection with him and our daily conversation with him in prayer, right? He issues an invitation, come to me. What does that look like? How do we approach God? What's our attitude and thinking? And what does he desire when we come to connect and converse uh, with him. And to get us thinking in the right direction, I want you to think about someone you love and care about, all right? Get them in your brain. And then think about them having a huge need or problem that remains unspoken and unresolved for a long period of time, causing them a lot of harm or pain, okay? Think about that. Then you find out about it. There's a revelation, like, oh my goodness, this was going on and I knew nothing about it. And then most guys would say to their friend or their loved one, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you come to me? And usually the responses that you get when you're in a situation like that, where there's a huge problem or need, it goes unspoken and unresolved. Then there's the revelation and you could have helped. And you say, "Come, why didn't you come to me? The responses are, well, you know, I didn't want to burden you. I was embarrassed. I didn't think you would understand, right? And after the revelation of all the pain that that person went through, the harm that was caused by not talking about it, not getting resolution and help, right? None of the reasons that they give for staying silent or not coming to you makes sense because the outcome of not expressing their need or sharing what's going on in their lives is worse, way worse than had they expressed it and come to you. And this is especially true when real help was available. So you get the picture, big problems, not talking about it, not revealing it to anybody real help available during that time, then it all unravels because they didn't talk about it or ask for help. And then the person who could have helped finds out and goes, why didn't you come to me? Now, we all know uh, why this happens. Fear or pride always limits needed help and relief from coming our way. That happens in human relationships, it happens in our relationship with God. And this is especially true with men, right? And the devil loves it when we keep things a secret, we, we keep our problems unspoken and they remain unresolved because then he's able to do a ton of harm to our relationships with God, our relationships with people. Now, God, knowing that tendency in us, right? positions himself, Jesus positions himself forever as someone who we never need to hide a problem from, 
hide a care from, hide a need from. In fact, he made us a standing invitation to take advantage of two things. Take advantage of his care, take advantage of his capacity when he says, come to me. Which then brings us to a big fork in the road, right? Where Jesus is serious about his invitation when he says, come to me, and offering that level of availability, that level of his capacity. But are we as sincere and serious in accepting and acting on his invitation? And what price do we have to pay before we get it that Jesus has given us an open invitation, never wants us to hide a problem or a need or a concern from him, and there's all this help available, but we don't access it through our connection with Jesus and our conversation with Jesus in prayer, right? What's the price when we let pride and fear and the self-sufficiency that those two things create in our lives limit healthy and humble dependency on God through prayer, right? So God says a conversation with him is not only available to us, his care is available to us, his capacities are available to us for a healthy relationship. The question is, is the conversation going? Are we connecting with God? And are we accessing his care and capacity? So here's where we're going in this series and here's where we're going today. You're gonna need to buckle up and get ready to move. We're gonna see and define Jesus's invitation. Then we're gonna see the why behind his invitation, which will help us accept and act on his invitation. And then we're gonna see very clearly from scripture, God's desire which will help us set some simple goals for our connection with God and our conversations with God. And then we're gonna have Jesus give us a final word on the whole topic of having a conversation with him or prayer, all right? So let's look first at Jesus's invitation. It's there in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says this, "'Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that is a very famous invitation that Jesus issues, but we gotta kinda unpack it, right? That first invitation is Jesus says, come to me. Why, do you, why does he have to make himself a singular focus? Because we go to other sources. We turn inward to self. We turn outward to culture. We turn inward to our own thoughts and ideas. We turn outward to, to the thoughts and ideas that people other than Jesus have. And Jesus is like, don't go to them come to me, especially when you have the burdens of life and living on a broken planet. And then he makes a promise. He says, if you make me, right, the first person you go to 
when you have problems, needs, concerns, issues of life, I'm going to give you rest. And then he, he says, here's why. Because I can carry the load that you can't. I can carry the load culture can't. I can carry the load that your emotional resources can't. He goes, my load, my ability, it's going to take the burdens off. I will lift you up. I will make you light. Now, anyone else want to feel a lighter, a little lighter in the heaviness of this world? But to do that, we have to, we have to accept and act on Jesus's invitation. Now, what's the why? Why, why Jesus? Why Jesus uniquely? Why first? All right. Look at your downloaded notes. In Matthew 9, Jesus says this. He asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. So now you have a window into why Jesus says, come to me. It's his capacity and his ability. And the only thing preventing us from accessing his capacity and, and, and ability is believing that he can do it. Those, those men in that passage in Matthew 9, they happen to be blind. But you know, he put it to them. He goes, do you think that I'm able to do this? And what was their response? Yes, Lord. Boom. Then Jesus goes into action, right, on their behalf. And he says, you know what? According to your faith, let it be done according to that, right? Let it be done to you. Guys, there's some things that burden you, that give you an emotional fever, that plague you, that beset you. And we need to know that Jesus has the capacity to shift that right away. But we have to believe that he can do it, all right? So there's your first why, I'm able to do it. And if you have the ability to believe, I'm able to do it. Let's look at the next why behind Jesus's invitation to come exclusively to him. All right. It's in Matthew 28, verse 18 it says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other translations, it says all power. So when you combine those two power and authority and capacity and ability, right? It's silly. It's silly to go to anybody first, right? It's silly to go to culture for your answers. It's silly to turn inward to yourself. It makes total sense to go to someone when you're burdened who has capacity, who has ability, who has power, and who has authority to execute on that. You know, my favorite book on prayer ever is called The Necessity of Prayer by Ian Bounds. Listen to what he says in this. He says, the faith which creates powerful praying is the faith, faith which centers itself on a powerful person. Faith in Christ's ability to do and to do greatly is the faith which prays greatly. It was his to inspire faith in his ability to do that, that Jesus left behind him. Wow. Powerful praying Powerful conversations with God, powerful connections with God are powerful because they're centered in a powerful person. It's not form. It's not the length of the prayer. It's not the words that you use. It's who is the person that you're talking to. 
And that's why Jesus says, don't go there, don't go here, come to me. Now, there's seeing Jesus's definition, defining what the invitation is, why Jesus makes himself the exclusive go-to for every follower of Christ when it comes to having their burdens lifted and dealing with with life's issues. Now, let's look at some simple desires that God has for when we connect with him and when we have a conversation with him. And then let's set some simple goals, all right, in session one here of Come to Me. So, number one, God desires that we slow to know. God desires that we slow to know. Now, why does he desire that? Because he knows what we already know in human relationships. In human relationships, you can have a body in front of you, but you might not have their presence, their mind, and their spirit. You ever said to somebody, hey, hello, woo, McFly, anybody home there? Where their body is sitting in front of you, but their mind and their heart and their spirit is somewhere else, right? Well, God knows that. So he's saying, you got to slow to be present and to know me. Look at what it says in Psalm 46.10. And this is the bedrock of connection in relationships with people, but especially your relationship with God, right? It says this, cease striving and know that I am God. Other translations you might have read yourself, right? It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, when the Bible says, be still, what's the opposite of being still? It's being in a hurry. And that comes in different dimensions. You can be in a hurry physically, or you can be in a hurry right here in your headspace. And I think everybody can relate to that, where your body is present, but you're in a hurry upstairs right here. And you're thinking about all the things that you have to do and all the concerns and all the problems and all. And so it, it interferes with your ability to be present, all right? So that's an example of striving, right? You're just sped up and you're in a hurry. And by the way, the devil is so interested in you being like that because you can't have uh, a quality connection with anybody or anything or any project when you're in a hurry. When you're in a hurry, quality goes down, especially in your relationship with God. So what does God say? Cease striving, please. And just instead of you striving, know that I'm God. What does that mean? Just know that I'm the vine. You're the branch. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. I'm the creator, holding earth three spots from the sun, perfectly balanced and integrated in an ecosystem that allows you to breathe right now. I'm the creator. You're the created. I'm the potter. You are the clay. You know when striving comes into play? It's when we flip that. The branch starts thinking it's the vine. The potter, right, the clay starts thinking it's the potter. The created starts thinking it has the capacities of creator, right? The sheep think that it can do all the leading and be the shepherd, right? That's when striving happens, self-sufficiency. That's when you get it upside down, right? So God is saying, hey, you gotta slow down. Gotta slow down, not just physically, 
you got to slow down internally and then know that I am God. Great picture in the scriptures, in the gospels of this heart of God coming out into a real life situation in Luke chapter 10 with a couple of his friends who happen to be women. Listen for the heart of God and the whole idea of slowing to know. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Ouch. Boy, does that speak into the hypermanic, hurry-up, schedule-driven, phone-looking, digital culture that we live in? I mean, nothing's really new under the sun, is it? And the key word is, worried and distracted. So Martha's body was present, but her emotions and her spirit was distracted, which means that she couldn't be present with Jesus. Now, Mary, on the other hand, is like, Jesus is in the house. I'm going to sit at his feet. I'm going to shut this. I'm going to open those up. I'm going to start listening. I'm going to take advantage of Jesus coming to our house, coming into this space. Now, that's in the Bible for a reason. Jesus's words and this situation, which happened with real people and people who love Jesus, happened for us right this day, right this minute, right now. God desires, man of God, that you slow to know God. And that means to put yourself in a position, and we'll get to that later, where not you just don't physically slow down to be with God and talk with God, but that you slow down inside. All right? Now, how do you how do you make a goal out of that? Well, the goal for slow to know is to be present versus be absent, right? That's God's heart. Just like it's your heart when you're with somebody and somebody's sitting with you, right? Do you want them to be present? Not just in their body, but in their mind and their heart and their spirit, interested, ready, ready to, to connect in, a, in an authentic way. That's God's desire too, and that's his goal, all right? And when you do that now, you can really take the, the, the person in, in front of you. And that's our next point. God desires that we slow to know. Secondly, he desires that we stop and stare. So once you are with him and you manage to slow down, right? The goal now is to take who's in front of you and who's with you in. And there's a great picture of a man of God taking God himself as he is in. And it's in Isaiah chapter six. God's, uh, God's got Isaiah in front of him and, and God is in front of Isaiah, right? Listen to what it says. In, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So Isaiah is seeing God. He's staring at God. I saw the Lord high 
and exalted, seated on a throne. A train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wow. Isaiah was having a power encounter with God himself. He was in God's presence. He was taking God in. And what did Isaiah see and sense in God's presence? Well, it's pretty easy to see. He sensed his majesty. The Lord's high, lifted up and exalted. And the angels of heaven are lifting up and exalting God. So he sees his majesty. He sees his character. And he hears his character being proclaimed. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. Whoa, holiness, might right? Power, because as they declare that, it's shaking the temple as God's character is, and person is being lifted up. And when you see his character and his majesty and his power, he sees that. What does Isaiah then see? He sees himself. And he's like, whoa, there is a huge separation between my king, the Lord God Almighty, whose presence I'm in, and myself, and he's blown away. He's blown away that he can even be there. He's like, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I am in the presence of a holy God, and I'm a broken, sinful, dark, and dirty man. But he's there. There's a buffer, there's a grace that allows him to be in God's presence. And so there's one great example of a man who's stopping and staring at God. You know, another person who had a power encounter with God in the Bible that's super helpful on this whole idea of slow to know, then stop and stare, is Job's experience. And in chapters 38 to 42, you get this, this encounter, right? You have men saying stuff about God and and, and speaking for God and telling Job what who God is and what God thinks and, and why Job's guilty of sin because his circumstances have gone south, which isn't the truth. And then God's just like, all right, time out. Let's stop the mumbo jumbo from the Greek word mumbo jumbo. And I'm gonna tell you who I am and I'm gonna tell you what I think. And he actually uses the words when he interrupts this religious club of guys, he says, brace yourself, Job. Brace yourself, because I'm going to talk. I'm going to speak for myself. So this goes on for Job 38, Job 39, Job 40, Job 41. And in Job chapter 42, Job replies. 
Listen to what he says. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Circle that if you have the downloaded notes. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, the same thing that happened to Isaiah happens to Job. He has a power encounter with God. God reveals who he really is. It's like, no more mumbo jumbo. This is who I am. This is what I do. And then Job sees, oh my goodness, I spoke in the wrong way because I wasn't seeing you. I talked about stuff I didn't understand, right? I really didn't know like, what was available to me. But then he goes, but now my ears have heard you and now my eyes have seen you. Stop and stare. Stop and stare. Stop and stare. If you want a set of glasses and you want to see God for who he really is, stop and stare at him. And take him in. You got to slow to know God. That's what he wants. What's the goal? Be absent. I mean, be present versus be absent. Be fully present. Then once you do, stop and stare. And then when that happens, when you see him, when you stop and stare, when you take God in, Something happens inside of you, and it, it talks about what happens inside. In Psalm 27, verses 3 through 5, listen closely. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high on a rock. So when you slow to know and when you stop and you stare, that fear is replaced with confidence. That self-sufficiency is replaced with God dependency and here are three men who, when they see God, God is seeing God as the answer to their troubles. Seeing God for who he is and, and, and what he is and what his character is and what his power is. And as men see God, as they gaze at him, all of a sudden, those problems aren't so big anymore. Even though war might be raging around you, you're good? Yes, you are good because you see God and you see how big he is and whatever your mountain is, it's not bigger than your maker. And that is the lesson here. So what's the result of stopping and staring? Confidence, right here, the psalmist says, I'll be confident, safety, protection. Do you want to feel confident right now? Today, this second, I don't care what's going on in your life. You wanna feel confident? You wanna feel safe? Do you wanna feel solid? 
You want your feet set on a rock. So while all that is shifting out there, you're solid, right? You got to slow to know, and you got to stop and stare. And the goal when you stop and stare at God is to see him first. Come to me versus what? See yourself first. And you see both with Isaiah and Job, when they saw God first, hey, that put their life and themselves into the proper context. Because when you see God first, you see self properly. You get confident. You get safe. You get solid in your connection and conversation with God. All right? So slow to know. Stop and stare. What's God's next desire for us in our connection and conversation with him? It's this. Start to declare. Right? Listen what happens. When a man slows to know he's present versus absent, and when he stops and stares and he sees God for who God really is versus seeing self or his circumstances, he starts to declare. Listen to Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. What do you see happening there? After a person slows to know, after a person stops and stares and acknowledges and sees who God is, man, you see an explosion of personal gratitude and worship verbally. This is not, this is the end zone dance. This is, oh my gosh, not only am I in awe, but I get to be here. I get to be in God's presence. And that, that overtakes a person and they start shouting with joy right? They start worshiping with gladness. They enter into his presence with thanksgiving. They start declaring with their mouth, right? Who God is. They praise his name. They see his character for the Lord is good. They see his power. They see his integrity. They see his purity. They see his unfailing love. And when they see God and they slow, they've slowed themselves, mind, body, and spirit, to be with God and they see him, they start to declare. And, and this is a good guideline for just how we should enter into God's presence. And you look at the man after God's own heart, David, I mean, he says the same thing. What's inside must come outside. When you see God for who he is, what's inside of you and percolating inside of you is purpose to have an expression that pleases God when you start to declare his praise and worship him. Look at what David says in Psalm 51. He says this, unseal my lips. Get the picture? Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken heart. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. O God. So do you see there's actions that can be taken there's a religious action, all right? Routine, ritual, 
you know, David's talking about in this case, a burnt offering, like go get, you know, an animal, bring an animal, go through the religious motions. And he's going, that's not what God wants. Instead, he goes, unseal my lips that I may praise you with my mouth. Unseal my lips, God. I, I need to worship you. I need to let my heart out, all right, my insides. I don't need to do a religious action, all right? And so when, when it comes to slow to know, the goal is be present versus be absent. When it comes to start to declare, I mean, uh, to, to, to stop and stare, the goal is to see him first versus see self there. What's the goal on start to declare? Write this down. To make a heart connection. To let your heart out to verbally let your heart out, if possible. Make a heart connection versus do a religious action, right? That's what's being compared and contrast here with David. He's like, unseal my lips that my mouth may praise you, all right? I could do something religious, but that's not what you want. You want my heart, what's inside of me, to come outside of me. And then in seeing this, we learn about God. Man weighs actions. We see what men do on the outside. God weighs intentions and heart attitudes. And there's a time and a place when you're with God where he really wants that to come out. After you slow to know, after you stop and stare, you start to declare, let's look at the last piece of what God desires when we connect and converse with him in prayer. We say God's will in prayer and believe he will do it. Slow to know, stop and stare, start to declare. Now we are ready to say God's will in prayer and then believe he will do it. Look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. It's sort of like when I ask my kids, hey, can you do that for me? And then they do it. And then them asking if they can do it. So they know what I want. Then they say, hey, dad, can I do what you want? And I'm like, sure, you can do what I want. That's the picture here. So we've slowed to know. We've stopped and stared. We've started to declare God's greatness. And now we're connected. Now we can have this, this conversation with him. We're coming to him with our full self and our full life, nothing hidden, our joys and our sadnesses, our victories and our defeats, you know, our sins and our victories. We're coming with it all. And we're going to approach God with super confidence and we're going to say his will as it relates to our lives and say his promises and say his truth. All right. So we're going to say back to God his truth, his promises, his commands, and then ask him for him to do what he already says. And then when you're doing what someone already says and asking someone for what they already said they wanted, you can be totally confident. You got what you, you got it. He already wants this, right? Listen to Jesus talk about the mountains, right? In our lives, all right? Mark 11, he says, have faith in God. 
Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Now, I don't know if anybody else out there has struggled when they read this passage, because I live right beneath a 5,500-foot mountain. It's called Saddleback Mountain. And when you look at this, you go, is, is, is he talking about a real mountain here? And man, what kind of faith would it take to, to throw a whole mountain into the sea? You got to know that Jesus engages hyperbole, all right? So when Jesus talks about a tree, all right, he's talking about your life, you know? The tree, the life is known by its fruit. Right? The fruit reflects the source. Right? Your life reflects the source of your life. Okay? So Jesus speaks illustratively, hyperbolically. A tree is a life. Um, a house is a life. Right? Build your house on sand. Build your house on a rock. Right? Build your house on the world. Worldly values shifts. It collapses. Build your house on what Jesus says and practice what he says. You're building your house on the rock. Solid. Right? This is the same thing right? Mountains in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, are challenges, all right? So whenever you see the word mountain, you can put challenge. It's hyperbole, right? And, and illustration. So Jesus will say, he'll use an extreme example like this. He'll say, you know, have faith in God. And truly, I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, right? Throw yourself into the sea. You believe, you don't doubt. Boom. That mountain's in the sea. Well, he's talking about life's challenges, whatever your mountains are, right? We face giants, we face mountains in life. They're just challenges. And like the psalmist in Psalm 121, it says, my eyes look to the mountains, okay? My challenges, Ooh, my challenge. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we see even in Psalm 121.1, him beginning to say God's will in prayer and believe that God can do it. And so we slow to know, we're present, we're not absent. We stop and stare, right? We see God first versus ourself first, but seeing God first, our troubles start to now take its proper context and we see ourself with God in the proper, through the proper lens. Then we, we start to declare, we start to worship, we start to speak out what we see, right? God's character, God's attributes, God's power, and we start to sing and declare about it, and now we're in this place, we're prepped. We're prepped now to say God's will in prayer and to believe that he will do it, and we're confident because we're asking for what he's already said he wants, which means we can believe fully that we're gonna get what he wants, all right? And, and that's the confidence that we have. And then we see, you know what? These challenges, they're not so big. If I believe, and I don't doubt, that my maker is bigger than my mountains and challenges, then that's going to happen. Full confidence. That's going to be rewarded by God. Now, what's the goal here, right? Where we say God's will in prayer and we believe he will do it. The goal here is when you talk to God, be in agreement. Be in agreement with God versus what? Hoping it's God. I know that if you're a follower of Christ, you've probably participated in prayers, and those prayers can be rooted in God's word where we say and declare God's will, and we, we, 
we, we talk to God about what he already wants and then we're asking him to do what he already wants versus kind of hoping and people talking to God and they're all over the map. They're, they, they're not confident. They're just sort of hoping that God's going to pick out of what they say something that's meaningful. And this doesn't mean that you can't ask God for all sorts of things. That's not what I'm saying. But if you want power and confidence, you go to his word, you learn his will, you learn his promises, you learn his truth, you learn his commands, and then pray those back to him. Those are the most powerful prayers. Now you're in agreement with God, no shade or shadow, versus sort of hoping that you're going hit to the, hit the target with God, all right? Big difference in terms of effectiveness in your connection and your conversation with God in prayer. But, you know, the key to this is knowing God's will if you're going to pray according to God's will, which is why we study the Bible, why we, we, we study God's ways, we learn God's ways, we apply God's ways to know God's mind on everything we possibly can so that when we pray, we're not praying hoping, we're praying confident, right? That God's going to do what he wants to do and what he says he will do, right? Now, let's wrap it up with a final word about words, right? When you connect with God, there's a time to be silent. There's a time to slow to know. There's a time to quiet yourself. There's a time to say nothing. And there's a time just to take God in whether you are at the beach or looking up at the stars or in a forest or you're just in your home in a comfortable place and your spirit begins to ponder God and who he is and you begin to just, in your spirit, at the eyes of your heart, you're stopping and you're staring at him with your heart. Wild. And then you start to declare, you got to talk about what you see. You got to talk about God and who he is and how he's a loving father and how he's a strong father and how he is an amazing person and creator and so powerful, so detailed and so beautiful and majestic and holy. And you just start to declare who he is and um, you worship, but then you, you move from there to you and him. My God, there's some, there's some things I need to talk to you about. And that, that requires words in a conversation. And I think if you, if you care about a relationship or the person in front of you, you care that your words are meaningful to them versus going all over the map. You want them to uh, feel like you respect them enough to care about what you say to them. And that's what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 6, he has, um, he's talking about prayer in Matthew 6, and he says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. You might want to circle that. Do not try to be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is cluing us in to what we've talked about. We've slowed to know, we've stopped and stared, we see God for who he is, 
He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's with me and ahead of me at the same time, right? So when you're talking to God, you don't need to talk to God like you talk to people because he already knows what you're gonna say before you say it, but he wants you to say it meaningfully for your sake. And so you don't need a lot of words, okay? So that's Jesus's word about your words when you talk with him. Fewer is better. And it, it's reiterated all throughout scripture, but I, I pulled a passage from Ecclesiastes 5. This is Solomon talking about our connection and conversation with God. He says this, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know, when you're talking to somebody with the ability and capacity and care of God, the wisdom of God, you don't need to say a lot. And there's his perspective. He's in heaven. He sees the big picture. Like, we're here down in the weeds. He's here. He's looking down. You ever gone up in a helicopter, gone up in an airplane? It's a whole different perspective, right? He sees you. He sees where you've been. He sees where you're headed. So you don't have to say a lot, which kind of leads me into sort of a personal prayer exercise that I really want you to take me up on before we get back together for part two, all right? So we're in part one. I want you to do this prayer exercise. It is printed out on the downloaded notes. So just click that downloaded notes and send it to the printer, all right? And then do this, all right? Now, first, I wanna share a little verse from Jesus. It's John 10, 27, where he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So why did I share that before I share this personal prayer exercise that I would like you to do between this session and part two? Is because Jesus says, like it was in his day when he said these words, sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. In fact, they would run away from a strange voice. So what Jesus is trying to impress on us and impress upon you right now is that he's not hard to hear, all right? A lot of times we make it hard to hear him because we are so distracted by the noise. We don't slow to know. We don't stop and stare, all right? We're not prepared to pray. But Jesus says, if you are, it's not hard to hear me. I know them, they know my voice, they listen to my voice, and they follow me. So it's a picture of an easy, an easy thing to hear and an easy connection of God and man that Jesus is outlining here. And so I wanna, what I wanted to provide for you was a simple personal prayer exercise between parts one and two. And, and it kind of goes like this. I'm gonna walk through it. If you are looking at the downloaded notes, you can follow me along. But here's what, I, what it looks like before we go to prayer, prayer and close this time. I want you to turn off your phone and put it in another room, right? That'll take an act of faith for most of us. Get to a quiet, comfortable place, right? Have your Bible close by, right? Sit down, be quiet, breathe, and just breathe, all right? For a minute or two. I found that if I wanna slow to know God, 
I gotta just be quiet and breathe. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord has made you and the breath of the Almighty gives you life. Breathing makes me more aware and slowing myself down gives me a way to just slow so that I can know. Then acknowledge God's presence, that he's with you. Thank him that he's with you, right? This is gonna be your, your time. You're gonna fill this in. Then stay quiet because God wants to speak. The shepherd wants you to hear his voice. And then let the Father speak over you. Let him speak over your life as his child. Right? God, fathers wanna talk to their kids. Good fathers, loving fathers, strong fathers, fathers who care. They have a lot of guidance to give their kids. So let the Father speak over you, still be quiet. Right? Receive, receive in that moment what God wants you to hear. I don't know what God's gonna say to you, but I have an idea because you're his, you're a son. And then when you kind of get a sense of, you know, God's talking to me and God's revealing a little bit of his heart to me and I'm sensing it, it's okay to just go with it. Those thoughts that are in your mind about the Father and what he's saying. And then you can, after you're, after you've heard some, some of what God wants you to know from his heart to your heart, affirm and respond to what you've heard. That's a conversation. Father, thank you for, for telling me that you love me. Father, thank you for showing me that everything I have is for me. Father, thank you. You know, those are just examples. And then what I want you to do is to continue the conversation with God, and I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 15. And I picked this passage just because it's one of my favorites and because it'll accomplish what, what we want to see happen. Open your Bible to John chapter 15, and then without rush or hurry, slowly read verses 1 through 17 uh, with an ear for God. You know, let, let God do the talking versus take in information. So there's a lot of red letters there. That's what Jesus is going to say to you. It's real, it's living, it's active. It's a living conversation in that moment. And then, in prayer, through prayer, respond to God's words that you, that you heard for you and to you and talk with him about you know, what you hear him saying. All right, That's your challenge between session one and session two. There's your personal prayer exercise. If you do this, I would like for you to write a note to me and tell me a little bit about that experience. Kenny L at everymanministries.com. Kenny L at everymanministries. Because I just want to hear what God said to you and, and what your experience was like. All right, so everybody, let's just slow down right now. Let's put our pencils down. Let's close the Bible. And let's just go to God right now. We're going to practice for the next minute or so just what we've learned. Heavenly Father, we, we've slowed our bodies down to be in this space, but right now we just slow our spirits down. The Spirit of the Lord has made us, and the breath of the Almighty gives us life. And Lord, we, we see you. 
We see you as over your creation. We see you as the one dangling earth right now. Three spots from the sun, perfectly tilted. That blue planet where the oceans have borders controlled by the moon and the air is breathable right now. We see you, our creator. And we join, we join with the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Lord, we see your majesty. We see your character. We see your power, God. How powerful you are, who you are, what you've done, the works that you do. And God, we see ourselves when we see you. We don't belong here with you, but thank you for your grace. And Father, we, we want to be in agreement with you. So we, we just declare right now your worth. We declare your wisdom. We declare your power. And we declare your will. It's your will that we love you back with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we ask for you to help us love you with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We know that's your will, and we have what we ask because we know it's your will. So, Holy Spirit, help us to love our Creator God, our Father, back with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength because that's the will of God, and we want that. Lord, we want a heart connection with you, Forgive us for rushing into connections with you and conversations with you that show that we're striving, where we're the branch trying to, to be the vine and we're the clay trying to be the potter. Forgive us. God, we're looking forward to this series. We're looking forward to our encounter with you. We're looking forward to a new season of prayer. that comes from being prepared properly, where we slow ourselves down, we're present, we see you for who you are, we seek that heart connection with you in worship, and then say and declare with meaningful words what we know to be your will and applying it to our lives. So God, thank you for uh, connecting with us right now. And right now, Father, I bless my brothers. I bless them with your presence. I bless them with a new vision of you, one that is crystal clear, where they see you in all your glory and holiness and character and power. I bless them with a heart connection with you right now, that they would sense your presence and Lord, I bless them with a knowledge of your will so that their conversations with you will be rich and powerful and they will see what they hope come about because they come to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and God's men said, amen. Do that prayer exercise and we'll see you next week.